Hi, everyone. I'm Celeste Headley, and you're listening to That's a Good Question. It's part of the Women Amplified podcast from the Conferences for Women. Team engagement and balance is a complicated juggling act for leaders in today's new world of work. Today's listener is in this very predicament. She's leading a business unit with ambitious goals, a steep climb ahead, limited resources, and working in a remote environment. In this episode, we'll provide strategies to help her identify the right priorities to focus on. Also, enable ways to help her work smarter, but not harder, and ultimately create a balance that allows her team to shine with autonomy and freedom. Helping me problem solve today, I'm so excited to be joined by our guest expert, Brooke Bass, who's the Senior Vice President and Manager of Property Claims for Global Retail Markets US at Liberty Mutual. Let's get started. So I really love your question, or I should say questions, because you're question is so multifaceted in that it hits on a lot of issues that I think are plaguing a number of people right now. So I'm really anxious to hear the answers to this. So I want to go through the question you asked. You said, I am leading a marketing organization where we have ambitious goals, a steep climb ahead with limited resources, not to mention we're all working remotely. First question is, how do I ensure the team stays engaged and avoids burnout? Your team members are eager, hungry, and everyone works hard. And how do you ensure they're staying focused on priorities and working smarter, not harder? Let me go with that first one then. Are you starting to see signs that people may be burning out? Yes, I think so. And I say that because as we work remotely and we have projects going on, we're still a very engaged team, meaning we cannot work on our own in the pet, like without collaboration. So I think our team, although everybody is remote, we're connected online through conference calls and chat, you know, every day, all the time. And I think some of the signs that I'm seeing is that, you know, with every project that people work on, there's always going to be sometimes smooth and sometimes not so smooth. And that's normal. But what I'm experiencing is that now when things are a little bit not so smooth, people are becoming, like, I can see more frustration. And then that leads me to think that it's harder now to pull in some of that, to stay positive and to continue to have a positive mindset that, you know, there's always bumps in the road. And I think that, you know, people are starting to be frustrated and say they're tired of (laughs) inefficiencies or miscommunication. And I think that's also a result of a lot of things going on. Yeah. And leads to people just getting tired. Yeah. And not being at their best. Yeah. So just for the benefit of our listeners, I want to go over the three symptoms of burnout that everyone should be watching for. In the first, there's three main ones. And the first one is energy depletion that can show up as exhaustion. The second one is cynicism. It can also show up as depersonalization or distancing 
from work and then reduced efficacy, which is like a significant drop in work performance. Yeah. You said that your team members are really working hard and that you are a hands-off manager and you want to, I mean, you hire smart, talented people and you want to let them do their jobs. Mm. That makes perfect sense to me. But you also are trying to make sure that people are not going overboard with that, especially since you have limited resources, which sounds to me like there may be an issue with people trying to fill in in gaps with their own work and energy and time. Yeah, absolutely. I think in my organization and in my line of business and industry, there's a lot of excitement and opportunity to drive change and turn things around. So I think that's why people are passionate and motivated. But at the same time, I think because, you know, the economy has softened and in tech has been a lot of churn and a lot of of layoffs. So and that we're not immune to that too. I would say that our resources are we lost a third of our people. And so there definitely is a reshifting in regards to how do we continue to drive business in a market softness year, which is already tough. And then at the same time, people are given less support in general in terms of investment and resources. And I think that's where things get tough for people who are really in the seat of, yes, I see the amazing opportunity to turn things around. And uh, we also instill a lot of thinking around having a growth mindset, saying like, hey, you know, if you can grow tough times, then there's so much growth and learning opportunity in that. And I think that people are excited about it. But at the end of the day, when it comes to reality and then getting the work done and everybody hands on deck is where I think that it just becomes too much. And then like I said, the burnout, yeah, people are starting to be cynical and say like, oh, we've tried that this time, last time. We tried to put together great proposals to get more money, to get more funding, get more of this. And sometimes people say yes and other groups say no. And people start to be more cynical and not wanting to do that all over again because they have had bad experiences about it. So they lose that spirit. One more question for you before we bring in our expert. Keeping in mind that some of the more common signs of burnout are things like being irritable and not just at work, or even small requests make you feel overwhelmed, the normal routines you go through that are focused on keeping yourself healthy kind of fade, you start to procrastinate more, you may daydream a lot. Do you feel you're showing some of these symptoms? I think for me personally, no. I think it's because where I sit, I think what I think about my personal career development and how the opportunity and the upsides are still outweigh all the negatives that I'm experiencing. I think that's how I ground myself is thinking about my personal career development goals and where I am. Okay, let's bring in our expert. And we are so lucky to have Brooke Bass with us today, who is the Senior Vice President and Manager Property Claims for Global Retail Markets US at Liberty Mutual. And Brooke has been with Liberty Mutual for quite some time. Her CV is 
very impressive. But I should say she's been at Liberty Mutual long enough to have seen these kind of ups and downs in the workforce and might have some good ideas on this issue. Brooke, hi. Hi, how is everybody doing today? I'm good. You heard all of that Chin had to say about trying to prevent her team from burning out. Any initial thoughts? Yeah, wow. There is a lot to unpack here. Yeah. What a really rich situation. Really excited to kind of talk through some of this with you. I actually wrote down a lot more questions (laughs) for you (laughs) as I was thinking about some of the things that might be going on with your team. The first thing is you mentioned you've lost a third of your people. Did you take a corresponding reduction in the commitments you then made and the work that your team takes on? Or were you sort of expected to continue to produce at the same level with a third less people? Mm. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think on on a macro scale, I think in regards to the profits that a business unit needs to drive, it's business as usual. I don't think that it's because you have less resources and less overhead means that you can deliver less in regards to the targets that your business needs to drive. I think in regards to -to day-to-day projects, yes, like we've had to let go of a few things in regards to initiatives that we can or cannot work on. We would have to let go of a few things and also restructure the team structure a little bit differently so we can lean on each other a little bit more. Okay. Yep. That totally makes sense. Yeah. I totally agree, right? Like, Mm -hmm. especially in tough times, right? The reason you make a lot of tough decisions in your business is to preserve the financial health, right, of the underlying business so that you will be a going concern, you know, and you'll be able to turn things around when the situation changes. But it's great to hear that, like, from a day-to-day work perspective, it really isn't realistic to say we can continue to do all the things we were doing with a third less of the people, right? And that's just a reality versus like what we want to do versus what we actually can do. And oftentimes we get engaged in things that we want to do and we think they're going to lead to the performance that we expect and the outcomes that we expect. And what we realize is they may on a piece of paper, but in reality, we actually go the opposite direction. So it's great to see that you, you know, had some discussions there and pushed back and took on the appropriate changes. As you were talking, I was thinking about a couple things too with respect to your team. So when this change happened, how much did you rally the team together, have, you know, a moment to recognize the significant change that it was? the change that they were probably going to feel in their work life going forward, address any concerns people had, talk with them in just more of a person-to-person way about the concerns that they may foresee. Also addressing, I think, what's really important in in how I think about engaging with my team on a daily basis is how much of your time do you spend talking to your team, not about work, but just about who they are as people? engaging with them on just a a human connection level, really getting to understand like what else is going on in their lives that is impacting how they show up at work every day. It's impacting the maybe both time capacity, but also just mental capacity that they may have on any given day. You know, as Celeste was ticking off the symptoms of burnout, right? Some of it is that your mind is just not focused on the things. You may be physically present. You may have the time to be sitting there working, but you're not actually mentally, the capacity is not there. And I think a 
part of just being remote and going through a big change like that and, you know, going through tough times in the industry, there's a lot of emotion that can be occurring in the team. One thing I like to do is try to just give up time and space for that emotion, for it to be shared across the team, for it to be shared with me as the leader, and for me to then share back as well and role model that vulnerability a little bit with the team to say, it's okay if you're feeling stressed. It's okay if you're feeling like this is a mountain we can't climb. I'd rather everyone get those feelings out on a table and let's talk about how we address them together as a team than to let them fester and to let them show up some point down the line in a place where you may be feeling like folks are disconnecting, they're feeling disheartened, they're throwing their hands up potentially, you know, when something doesn't go the way that they expected it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think those are really great advice. Yeah. Do you think, Chin, that people feel comfortable taking even their time off? I think generally, yeah. I do see people take time off. Yeah. This week, two people are on vacation. (laughs) I think it also depends on, like, some people are more considerate. They think about, okay, I'll take time off during the summer when there could be more of a downtime. Yeah, I think generally people are taking their time off and, you know, summer is coming. I think that checking in genuinely to see how people are outside of work is a great thing to do to make sure that people can bring their whole self to work and make them feel like this is a safe space. I would like to hear your suggestion around, I guess it all could also depend on the person, the situation too, is that is having that space and the conversation important and then we can leave it there or is there more to it like is there we should be thinking around finding ways where we can really take an action around it or in this case it's really about carving the space to allow people to to soften up a little bit more and then we make sure that we can feel that this is a safe environment for them to to be who they are and if they are down they're down and we can accept them we listen but not having a solution or not having an action is okay too because i think in my mind and my default stance is to do something about it and so i think it would be good to understand too like okay do i need to think about more around Yeah, like I said, default stance is to take an action. And do I have to train my brain to say like, okay, we have a talk and it's okay to lean away and leave it as that. Brooke, what do you think? Yeah, really great question. I think my default is to be action-oriented as well. Sometimes that can lead you down the wrong path, right? It means taking on more work when maybe people are already stressed. So what I would say is, The conversation and creating the space for people to be vulnerable and share, like, here's my reality right now, is the first step. The next step will be dictated largely based on the outcome of that conversation. So you may find you just needed to provide that space, and that was what was holding people back. They were just not feeling connected to their team. Therefore, they were not feeling like putting their 110% effort out there when you needed it because they just didn't have that motivation. You may find there are larger structural things going on and that you as a team can talk about them, you can problem solve them, and 
you could maybe be an advocate for a change more broadly that will positively affect your team. You may find that they've been maybe a little bit afraid to say, hey, this thing is broken in how we work together, but that's what they need to tell you so that you can work to fix it. So I would say absolutely there could be actions that you're going to want to take. And it's really depending on like the outcomes of that conversation, like tailoring what your team needs to what you hear from them, right? That's really important. And then they also understand that you're really listening to them because sometimes people just need the ability to let their emotions out and that's all they need. And then they're back on the happy path, right? And if you try to like get too involved and problem solve and keep asking them if, you know, things that you could do differently, you start to frustrate them because that's not what they need. Mm. But then the opposite is true as well. When people really do need you to do something for them or they need something that's structurally inefficient for them to be changed or at least to be acknowledged. So it's really about listening to what they say and thinking about the corresponding actions after that. The other thing I would say is we can never underestimate the power of recognition particularly in a remote environment, right? And one where people are feeling stressed, people are feeling like they're working with limited resources, like they're being asked to do more and more. How often do you celebrate small things that your team does well? How often do peers on your direct reports celebrate each other? How much do you help them see the things that they are doing and ways in which they are growing as individuals and creating development for themselves? You talked a lot about your own sense of career development and satisfaction that you're getting and how you're looking at challenges as opportunities to grow. Are you making those connections for your team? Are you like setting that environment for them so that they can recognize even these what might be frustrating challenges? They have that growth mindset to say, okay, here are the three things I can take away from this and this will help me in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I wonder, Chin, if you're seeing any of the early signs, because experts in burnout say that before you get to the actual symptoms of burnout, there are earlier signs that are actually much easier to address than burnout. And those are things like a change in attitude, maybe being overly hard on themselves or on their coworkers. Mm. Also, a loss of confidence can be a very, very early sign or people being prone to get the sniffles, Mm. get a little bit sick, complain of headaches, things like that. Are you seeing any of those? Yeah, I think so. I think especially with more of the first line managers, I think I'm seeing some frustration. One is around frustrations around like how they feel like other people or their peers might not be pulling their weight. Yeah. Or like how they put so much effort. And I can completely see that too, is like from this first line manager, you know, yeah, very on top of things. All of the peers and cross-functional teams love working with this senior manager. But, you know, the senior manager can't do everything. You have to collaborate with the people. But then I would hear like resentment, like, oh, this person isn't doing what they need to do in order for me to be successful. And I can see that because this person also worked so hard. And when it's time for that other person to pick up and run, you would feel very frustrated <laughs> that things aren't moving or other people aren't pulling their weight. I'm starting to see that. And on the other side, another first line manager as well is some signs around 
not fully engaged. There are reasons why, but it's hard because we're all remote, right? So it's hard to know. And I'm very hands-off, so I don't know if it's kind of like an excuse or is it something because this person just needs to not want to engage. Like, for example, if we have our weekly staff meetings or have ongoing things, um, one person is the absent, but with like, it comes with reason, but I feel, you know, sometimes you just have one of those gut feelings. You're like, oh, I feel like something is going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you don't want to come to our team meetings where we do have fun? This person chooses to do something else instead, and that's a red flag. So I wonder, Brooke, especially in remote environments, I find it interesting that one of the best ways to cure burnout is by increasing interaction and cooperation and social interaction at work. Obviously, remote work makes that difficult, but also as people get irritable, they're less likely to interact. How do you do that? So yeah, that is a a little bit of a conundrum, right? We know a way to make things better, but (laughs) in certain environments that seems to be anti to what we should be doing. So I'll actually want to connect this a little bit to what you said about being a hands-off manager, wanting to give people autonomy and freedom, right? To shine and to not be a micromanager, right? And so I think these two things may be connected. And when I think about and my journey as a leader over the years, I really learned because I also like to be, I pride myself on, right, not being a micromanager, letting people have autonomy, both to succeed and make mistakes, right, and to grow and develop. But I think there's some key things that need to be in place in order for that strategy to work. And I think there's a difference between being a hands-off manager, meaning like, why don't really just engage with you at all, except for in specific circumstances. And I'm a hands-off manager when it comes to you making decisions, you actually executing against those decisions. But I do set clear expectations for you. We all are aligned as to the value that our group is driving, the priorities that we have. And I'm going to hold you accountable to actually delivering against those. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. That's the part where I'm giving you the autonomy. But I'm going to come back around and hold you accountable to executing against our aligned goals and vision. And so you mentioned a few things early on where there are other groups that you work with and there may be some miscommunications going on. There are too many things going on. And I wonder if in a remote environment, when you have those conditions, it's really easy for people to get lost as to what they should be focused on. And so if you develop and communicate a clear, concise vision for your team, this is how we add value this is the strengths that we bring. These are the priorities we have. And if we can execute against those things, we'll be delivering value to our broader business unit, right? Which is a lot of what is important. Is that clearly communicated? Is it clearly understood, right? So sometimes we think we're being clear in communication and we say the same thing to five different people and they walk away with five different interpretations of what we said, right? So I often find a good idea is to say, ask them to play back to you what they just heard you say. And you may find they say something that's not what you intended, right? And so there's an opportunity to just clear up that miscommunication or confusion right there in the moment. So I would say, you know, like a clear aligned vision for the work that you guys are doing 
and how it's adding value, then I would say, does that clear vision exist across all the teams that work together? So if you're the frontline leaders here are working with people in other groups or functions or with each other, and there's misalignment, right? That can lead to the situation you described with people not doing what someone thinks they should be doing or doing something that seems against what that vision and goal is. And then the the accountable piece, right? So you want to give people, you're setting them up for success with the clear vision, the clear expectations, then you're letting them go and figure out how to meet or exceed those expectations. Then you got to come back around and hold them accountable to what they do or don't do. And so if you're not doing that at the right frequency or maybe not doing that with everyone in an equitable way, people could be perceiving that, you know, I see what John is doing over here and it's not exactly right, but I don't see him getting feedback. I don't see him being held accountable for the behaviors that aren't exactly aligned with what our team is trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. And it's important for your team to see you doing that. And it's hard in a remote environment, right? So you may have to find a way to do it in team settings. Now, obviously, you're not going to you know, give someone a performance review in front of all their peers, <laughs> right? But finding ways in which you can deliver that message of, we had expectations of X, Y, and Z, and we didn't get there. What's going on? How can I help us get there? How can I help us clear up miscommunication? You know, is it something I'm not doing for you that I need to do? You can sort of do that in a team setting and it sends that signal to some of the folks who are working really hard and feeling like the team isn't getting where it needs to get. They'll see you do that and they say, oh, she does see this. She gets it. Like, I feel confident in her leading our group because I see that she understands what's going on. Wow, that's a lot of really good advice. I agree. That's really wonderful. Yes. I think that a lot of times when we communicate, we think we're clear. But I think it's really important to, like you mentioned, think from the other person's perspective and to ask them to play it back to make sure that we are in full alignment. And I agree with you completely, too, is that things shift and then things change. And I think that a lot of time, I think most of the people on our team are also doers. And so I think it's also setting that right expectations and saying like, yeah, some things are not for us at all. And then communicating and and workshopping that through communications and the right setting too is like, we don't have to put out every fire that comes out in front of us. Sometimes, sometimes we have to be clear also that this is not something that is our team's remit. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, it's related to us. And I think that's what's really related to burnout because people are probably doing and I'm in marketing. I think a lot of people end up doing things that are not marketing because we're so closely tied to the business and to the sales team. And setting those right expectations will help as well. Yeah. I will say just because I happen to be a conversation expert that always be intentional about the platform through which you communicate. In remote environments, it's really common to default to either email or Zoom or, or whatever your video conferencing platform may be. Just a quick mention that email is extremely limited in its ability to communicate things that have any kind of nuance to them. Like mostly they should be used for disseminating information or sending attachments or whatever. And Zoom is very uniquely taxing on people's neurology and their physiology. And so, you know, don't be afraid to just pick up the phone. The phone is actually super good for people and it's much more efficient 
as communication. Just wanted to insert that in there. Sorry about that, Brooke. No, I love that because I'll share a short little story about a colleague of mine has basically decided Fridays are no video Fridays for her because it's stressful. One, staring at yourself on video all day long, right? You're constantly picking apart what you might look like. And then you're looking at all your colleagues all the time. And to your point, like it's, it is documented how neurologically taxing Teams, Zoom, you know, the constant video. And so we get advice to connect remote workers, right, through the use of video, but too much of that can be a bad thing. And so one of my coworkers just said, like, look, we're just going to have audio only interactions on a Friday. And it's awesome. I love that she did that. I love that she set that example for people. And I started copying her and it works. And it, like, you just, have a lift and you have a freedom of interacting sometimes when it's just audio. So I think it's a great advice to think about the mechanism with which you're delivering the communication. If you mismatch those things, you may not get it right. The other thing I was thinking about as as you were saying that is I like to think a lot about intent versus impact, right? And so Mm. you may intend to deliver a certain message, but the impact either the mechanism with it you use, the tone, the language, whatever, it had a totally different impact. And sometimes that impact is born of just the person receiving it, their current context, what they're going through. If they are going down that path of becoming burnt out and they have some of those like initial signs that you were talking about earlier, they might receive a message in a vastly different way than they would if they were in a different emotional and headspace. So thinking about there are ways to maximize right the impact that you have so it aligns with the intent that you have as well. And certainly mechanism of that communication is one of those ways. Thinking about that other person, trying on their perspective and say, okay, I know John is going through this thing at home. He has an aging parent that you know he's spending a lot of time caring for. That's his current context. Let me think about that and how I might communicate with him differently knowing that, right? Or, gosh, I know that Jane is really stressed about this particular part of her work and she thinks she's failing. And so let me try that perspective on and think about how I might communicate differently. I think those are really great tools with which to create clarity. And also you're connecting the message really individually to that person and, you know, having much more success. Yeah. Mm, Great. Is there something in there that you can use, Chin? I mean, I'm listening to this and this happens to be a conversation in which Brooke is dumping a ton of really valuable suggestions on your head. <laughs> so I want yeah, <laughs> to make sure that A, this is not overwhelming you, <laughs> leading to burnout on your part, no. but also that you're finding ways that you're going to be able to implement this in your, your work life. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like sometimes in my world, I think that there are people that are, I would say, kind of good at, maybe you can call it managing up. They come to me and set those expectations. And so when I talk to them, I do have that frame of mind up. Like you mentioned, like somebody is going through some things in their family, in their personal life. And so communicating as that to that individual, not just like the weekly to-dos, but really thinking about the person and where they're at right now, I think definitely is meeting where they are. Yeah. And there's sometimes I think 
maybe uh, there is a little bit more work that can be done on my end too, is to make sure that we can, yeah, create a little bit of, of space where people can feel free that they can share some of that. And because ultimately it's only going to benefit me and benefit the individual too when we work together is knowing where that person is in their life right now. And don't forget, you can always teach people skills, you know, the specific skills that really help people in a moment to relieve stress, things like doing a quick body scan, things like, you know, learning mindful breathing, things like stepping outside of whatever building they're in for a break and looking at trees that we know have a really big impact on their on their well-being. You can always teach that as a skill. Mm. But before we wrap up here, Chin, are there any further questions or clarifications? Do you feel as though you can walk away from this conversation and and you have a plan moving forward? I think this session was very rich for me. Like you said, I feel like this is a really good. There's a lot of key nuggets that I could take away. There's so many. I think one is like really listening to your point. I think another one is being intentional with understanding the impact that comes out of intentions. Another one is simply yeah, there's different types of platforms to communicate. So what is the right method of communication can vary as well. And also just to be, yeah, more mindful and more aware of, of where people are at in this virtual environment. Those are all incredible. Brooke, last thoughts from you? Yeah, it's the stuff that you just outlined and are you know about to try to work on. It's a journey, right? So I would say maybe your first attempts at connecting on a more personal level with some folks in your team, maybe met with a little resistance, right? So I would Mm. say that's okay. Be prepared for that. That could be a likely scenario, but continue to be open, right? Continue to create the environment for them and meet them on their terms, right? When they're ready to step into that environment, they will. But if you don't create it, right, they don't have a chance to. And, you know, just be courageous yourself, right? And share role model that sharing back to your team as well, because I think that helps build that foundation that one day someone will be willing to stand on. And as you're doing that from a more personal level, I think there's a step you can take that is a little more connected to your actual work and people's actual roles. And is really just to start the conversation, if you haven't already, with each of your team members to understand what motivates them. Mm, You know, I think we often assume Well, people are motivated by achieving this, having this success, getting a new job, getting promotion, all around like personal achievement. But what I've learned over the years, and I would make a lot of assumptions about what motivated people, and then I would behave in a way that, you know, connected to that level of motivation. And if you're getting that wrong, you're actually not motivating that person. And so I learned over time to just outright ask people. And if you have six people on your team, you're going to get three or four vastly different answers about why they show up to work every day, why they do the work that they do. Some, it is absolutely all about money. Some, it's about career and growth development. Some, it's like, I want to be an inspiration to my kids and show them that a woman or, you know, whatever can do this thing. Like, there's so many different answers that you might get and you're going to get some that surprise you. And so that's a way to like learn more about people personally that is connected to work and they may be more willing to share that with you as you start on this journey. And that's really useful for you as a manager and a leader too, because then you can start tailing your interactions with people around those things that motivate them. Oh, it's such a great point. That is, yes. Yeah. 
Chin, I want to thank you so much for bringing this question because, again, can't say it enough. I know this is facing a lot of people. So thank you for bringing this to us. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I got a wonderful coaching session today. So I feel like I took a big, big vitamin today. So thank you. (laughs) That's the best ever. You know, before we leave with you, Brooke, do you have any advice for the team member who is beginning to feel they might be burning out and how they can express that to their manager without making it appear that they're just demotivated or just don't feel like working hard enough? That's the trick, right? Because I think that's what holds people back is they are afraid of how telling the truth about how they're feeling or something they're going through is going to come off to their manager. And something that may be a moment in time might stick in someone's mind forever, right? Like, okay, now I'm going to be marked as the person who doesn't want to do X, right? Forever, right? And is not motivated to show up every day. That's really hard. I think for the team member, I would say it doesn't have to be expressed to the leader right away. If there's someone else on the team or someone they have a mentor relationship with or someone who's not directly connected to the work, maybe they work in a different function or they work for a different leader and they feel really comfortable with that person, using them as the outlet to start and to get advice that isn't connected with your direct like management hierarchy can often be a safe way for someone to express what they're going through and hear from someone who has no quote unquote skin in the game with respect to being their leader advice. And sometimes that advice will be, hey, go tell your manager this. And sometimes that advice will be, oh, you know, like I went through something similar and here's something that worked for me. Or gosh, someone on my team had that same experience and here's some strategies they used. So I often think it's great for people to develop those kinds of relationships at work, call them your mentor, call them your safe buddy, or you know whatever it is where you can share things without any fear, right, of being misinterpreted, right, in a way that would hurt your career. That could be a strategy. Really, really great advice. Yeah. So I want to say thank you also, yeah, to Brooke Bass, who is the Senior Vice President and Manager of Property Claims for Global Retail Markets U.S. at Liberty Mutual. I can't imagine that all fits on one business card. Brooke, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. What a fun chat we just had. I really am honored to have been part of the discussion. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of That's a Good Question. Thanks again to our guest expert, Brooke Bass from Liberty Mutual. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, California, and online. For registration updates and speaker announcements, sign up for our newsletter at caconferenceforwomen.org slash newsletter. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well.